This morning in Sunday school, we saw an older video that had uh, a sermon about the prodigal son that I did some years ago. And the same theme here about the God of glory saving uh, sinners is in the sermon for today, which is based on 1 Corinthians 2.8. So we'll go to the next slide and read the main text. We'll pray and then we'll look into the context. It says here, 1 Corinthians 2.8, none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your mercy, sending your glorious Son, eternal Son, the Creator, into this world to suffer shame so that we can understand your love and mercy. Help us to know what you've said, believe it, and trust you in all things. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have here 1 Corinthians 2.8. Now, the reason I'm using the Christian Standard Bible is because of a previous study of the Greek. I I felt this was the best translation I had available. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom. What exactly wisdom are we talking about? Christ crucified. Previous sermons we saw in many different places in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 17. And as we go forward, the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. And so now we have a very amazing statement. None of the rulers knew this wisdom. And the reason is that it's only revealed by God. It's not something discovered by a lot of smart people. No one who wanted to know God's wisdom would come up with a plan where a crucified Jewish Messiah is God's glory because to be crucified is shameful. The Gentiles were not looking for a crucified Jewish Messiah. The Jews were not looking for a crucified Jewish Messiah. But therein is God's wisdom. And he, as we saw, for those who were in Sunday school, bore the shame that we could ultimately know glory. Notice here, and I'll get into more details. We have some more slides. If you don't see the irony in this, we need to really see it. How could the Lord of glory be shamed by wicked sinners? We'll talk about that. Now, let me read a little bit in the context as we stay on this slide. Start with verse 4, 1 Corinthians 2, starting with verse 4. Paul said, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak of wisdom among the mature, not, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, literally being nullified. Verse 7, on the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom, a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. And then this passage that we read. So God's wisdom is Christ crucified. Now we're just doing this one verse. And so let's go to the first half of it. And then we'll see in uh, Luke how this works out in Christ's life and teachings and his substitutionary atonement. 
Notice it says, none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, which is what Christ crucified. These rulers we talked about in 1 Corinthians 2, 6, they're both human on the scene of history and the powers of darkness that inspired them. It's both and. We know that from our study in Ephesians. So this, this age, the rulers of this age are arrayed against God. They're wicked. And the one thing they're opposed to is the salvation of sinners. So let me cite to you Ephesians 2.2, 2, which I preached through some, a couple of years ago, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2.2. 2. The ruler there, Archon, is the same word used here, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 2.6. So the rulers, from what Paul has taught elsewhere, we know are both spiritual and humans on the scene of history. None of them knew that God was going to use Christ crucified to save sinners and rescue people under the domain of darkness, remove them, and bring them into the kingdom of his beloved son. There are many passages about this, including Colossians 1, 13, and 14, including Acts 26, 18. Salvation, the forgiveness of sins, for those who know Jesus Christ and trust him alone, removed from the domain of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his beloved son. One of the most important implications is that we don't need to tell the evil demons what to do. We need to appeal to God at the throne of grace, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 4.16, because he's over all things. If God redeems us, forgives us, removes us from the authority of darkness, then we appeal to him. We don't talk to the devil and the demons. We go to the higher authority, God himself. And so let's go to the second half of this verse, and I want to share some applications from Luke that I think are amazing in their profundity and in how God's glory is revealed through his own son being shamed and utterly shamed. 1 Corinthians 2, 8b. Because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, in the Greek, we have a contrary to fact conditional. In other words, they didn't know. Because these things are part of God's counsel that are revealed and they're rejected by the world. They're rejected by religious people. They're rejected by the proud, the self-righteous. Satan and his minions are evil. And in their hatred of God and his purposes and God and his promises, they inspired the wicked people that were there at the cross. We'll see this as we go through this sermon because that's their nature to do so. They were sealing their own doom. They, they were doing something 
that they didn't know would release people that were their captives and, and release us out of the, the, their own power and authority. Why would Satan do something like that? Why would the Gentile and Jewish leaders and rulers do something like that? Because they didn't know. These things are revealed, not discovered by human inquiry. I'm going to quote Dr. Fee, whose work helped me see this in the 80s. In 1987, I think his commentary came out. Really helped me understand 1 Corinthians. So I want to give honor to whom honors due, those who helped me understand what God was saying here. Uh, Fee, and I have his 2014 update. Quote, the very ones who were trying to do away with Jesus by crucify him were in fact carrying out God's prior will, says he, destined for our glory before time began. Instead of crucifying, says he, a messianic pretender, they killed the Lord of glory himself. The very one who has Lord of all the ages is therefore Lord of the final glory that is both his and his people's ultimate destiny. This morning in Sunday school, as we showed an older video, we saw in Hebrews that the Lord of glory suffered shame in order to bring many sons and daughters to glory. I hope you realize that God's glory is not our nature as fallen sinners. Glory belongs to God. The glory that's so profound that Anyone who would even look at it would perish, even if it's filtered through a veil. They'll still perish. You can't go into the presence of God and say, hey, why don't you do something for me? It doesn't work that way. One more uh, quote. This is from Thistleton. There could be scarcely a clear statement <clears throat> in Scripture that the cross was no unfortunate historical accident, an act a mere act of bravery or political martyrdom later turned to good account. That's, and that's a big point. People will die even for foolish religion. People will go to war to seek glory. And we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school in a previous sermon from some years ago. But there's something to gain, some kind of martyrdom. And some said, well, Jesus did that. no. This was God's eternal plan because Jesus predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. It's not an accident. This is God's purpose. Now let's go right away to some implications and applications. Those who are of this age seek self-glory and reject God's wisdom. The Lord of glory, and secondly, the Lord of glory suffered shame to bring previous enemies to glory. Previous enemies to glory. And so we need to do away right now with any idea that we deserve anything from God. That we worked hard enough. That we're better than anybody else. We were his enemies. We were dead spiritually. And what life we had, we were those who would not serve God. So all the applications will be from the book of Luke. First one is Luke 
9, 25, and 26. And I'll give you some context. In Sunday school, we saw the prodigal son. Here, we see how Jesus Christ came into this world, and the world he came into is a culture of honor and shame. Shame was to be avoided at all costs, and honor was the highest value. So let's read. In fact, turn in your Bibles here. This is very important. Turn to Luke 9.22. I'll read through verse 24, and then we'll go to the slide, which starts at verse 25. The context, shame now, glory later. Luke 9.22. Here's what it says. The Son of Man must, Greek word day means divine necessity, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. That's Jesus' statement. So the cross was no accident. This is what must happen. Let's read on. Verse 23. He was saying saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. And follow me. Verse 24. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it Whoever wishes, whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who will save it. Then to the verses we have on the screen. Think about this question. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and his holy angels. This is the essence of Jesus Christ being shamed by people he could have destroyed before they had a chance to do anything. He indeed is the Lord of glory. He indeed predicted that he'd be rejected by those to whom he came. He predicted that he'd be killed and raised on the third day. The Son of Man is a reference to Daniel 7, 13, and 14. I'll, I'll cite that to you. Daniel 7, 13, 14. I kept looking in the night visions. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. So and this is in Daniel. And he came up to the Ancient of Days... It was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's revealed in Daniel. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he is claiming that that person I just read about, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, is him. And that though he's hated and shamed and rejected and crucified, that did not hinder one bit God's plan because it was part of his plan, but they didn't know it. None of the rulers of the sage knew this wisdom. Crucified Jewish Messiah. Had they known it, they wouldn't have done it. Why? Because they were defeating their own selves. They were losing their own captives. 
They were making a way that was God's intention to glorify many people who believe in him. His kingdom will not pass away. Here's why salvation clearly must be by faith. If you don't believe the promises of God, you'll never go along with this. If you don't believe the promises of God, you want nothing to do with being shamed in their honor-shame world. If all there is is what this life has to offer, we'll get what we can and then die. But if we believe what God has said, we believe the promises of God, and that in the future there will be a glorified Christ ruling on the throne, and that this kingdom is everlasting, and that we'll share his glory in the future, then whatever shame comes our way now is really rather meaningless. And this was stated and taught before Christendom, cathedrals, gold crosses, people with authority, with pompous robes, parading around like they're somebody great. That didn't exist. Christendom didn't exist, and being fed lots of glory for being somebody important in Christendom didn't exist. All there was was shame. I hope those of you who were in Sunday school saw a video that brought that out. In Luke 9.44, I'll cite this if you want to jot it down. Luke 9.44, to emphasize this, Jesus said this, Let these words sink into your ears. Hard to hear, isn't it? Sink into your ears. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. Luke 9.44. Why did he emphasize this? Why did he tell his own disciples? Let it sink into your ears. Well, how could it be? None of the rulers of this age knew God's wisdom of a crucified Jewish Messiah so they can't accept it as wisdom. The Son of Man, if you know Daniel 7, 13 and 14, is the one who has a dominion and a kingdom and glory. How can the Son of Man be delivered in the hands of men? Who is this? They didn't know God's plan. Even the disciples had to be told that this is the Son of Man. There are 25 references to the Son of Man in Luke. Let me give you a preview in Acts. As we say here, you want to jot this down. Acts 7, 55, 56, when Stephen was martyred. By the way, in Acts, or Luke Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone and they speak, you should listen. Here's Stephen. Quote, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, behold, he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They killed him. But he went to glory. Today we're going to see that another person suffered shame and repented, the thief on a, one of the thieves on the cross, who also will be graduated to glory. Now, let's talk about Zacchaeus as we go to Luke 19. There's so many 
parables and teachings that would we could go to in Sunday school. We showed a video about the prodigal son, but really the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost older son who was angry because they hadn't given him a party. But no one deserves this. So let's look at Zacchaeus. Again, turn to the context, uh, which would be Luke 19, 1 through 4. Luke 19, 1 through 4. And I want us to see that people are willing to do some things but God confers glory upon undeserving sinners who believe in him. Well, let's, so I'll start reading with verse 1. I'm in the New American Standard Bible here. By the way, in Luke, Luke 9.51, all the way to the end, or the point of the triumphal entry, is a journey to Jerusalem to be rejected. Jerusalem is the place where prophets are rejected, according to Luke Acts and according to God. So let's see this journey up to Jerusalem to be rejected. We already saw a preview of that in Luke 9. And he entered into Jericho, verse 1, and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Now, then I'll get to this. By the way, I know this is a nice Sunday school story, a wee little man, but the point is often missed. If you understand what we learned in Sunday school about the prodigal son, This is about as undignified as anybody could ever be. You don't climb in a tree. You don't let people see your legs exposed. We saw that. A nobleman wouldn't do that. This is not what you do. Utterly disgraceful and undignified. Plus, this was a tax farmer and so on, so he was hated anyhow. So let's read now from verse 5. We have a slide for that. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. By the way, there's that disgraceful tax gatherer in a disgraceful position doing something nobody would ever do in an honor-shame culture. But he did it. That's very interesting. He looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today, by the way, that's an important term in Luke, yeah, especially in Luke, today, I must, there's our word day, D in, in English, D-E-I, but day means in Luke Acts, divine necessity. Why must Jesus stay at his house? Nobody would do that. No righteous, respected teacher in Israel would want to stay at that house. Why must he stay there? I believe because it is very clear this is God's purpose. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Here he is, disgraced up in a tree. And here he came down and received him gladly. That's an important word in Luke X, received. It doesn't just say, okay, that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm ready for company. Who is? But received, hupo decamai, 
is a strong word. It's, it's the word welcome with a prefix to make it even stronger. He, and then it says he received him gladly, which is Cairo, which is used in Luke for rejoicing in the context of the coming of Messianic salvation. The, as we read and understand, when Messiah comes, there's rejoicing. But not amongst the people we would expect. In the prodigal son narrative, and the older son, Luke 15, 32, the response to the older brother was this. Nobody rejoiced. Where's the fatted calf? Where's my stole, stole? But look what it says in Luke 15, 32. I'll quote this. But we had to rejoice. Again, day. Luke Acts. I must day stay in your house. He received him gladly with rejoicing. We had to rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. That's why the divine necessity is that the son of man, the glorious one prophesied about in Luke 7, 13 and 14, came into this world to save sinners. He took the shame. He did all of the things we couldn't do for ourselves. And he's willing to bring disgraceful, miserable, shamed, worthless people in the eyes of everybody around and confer honor by eating with them. He eats with sinners. And so he came down, received him gladly, literally with rejoicing. And when they saw, what did they do? I have it highlighted in red. The same thing that was done in Luke 15. The same thing that's done in, the, in John when Jesus multiplied the bread. They grumbled. They didn't just grumble a little. They really grumbled. Ganguzo was to grumble, but here it has the prefix dia uh, ganguzo, which, which is grumble with an intensity of grumble thoroughly. They really grumbled. This is bad. Who is this whose house you must stay in? When they saw it, they all began to grumble. He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Why is that so bad? Because as if you were there in Sunday school, we showed a video. You don't do that. You don't bestow your family honor and dignity to somebody who's only going to bring shame to you by showing up at your house. That's what he did. There's just so much to say, but if we get the intent, we'll find out what happened to the thief on the cross. The same word for grumble with the dia prefix is used in the Greek translation, commonly used in those days. Exodus 15, 24 They grumbled against Moses at the bitter water. Let's go further into this Zacchaeus narrative. And when Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, this is why I switched to the LEB. I'll tell you why. I think this is the right reading. It's, It's what the Greek says. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, 
because there's present tense. Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I am giving to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'm paying it back four times as much. See, that's what it says in the Greek. Now, typically, it's translated as a future. But either way, the point isn't that this uh, tax farmer is going to be able to do enough to ever please God. No matter how much you give away, even if you give everything away, you're still a wretched sinner. You can't buy salvation. You can't buy shame. I mean, honor and get rid of your shame that way. And so if we, if we don't, I think we really need the present tense here. Because otherwise, it sounds like, well, this guy, maybe he's doing enough. We can have him. That's not the point. If you think that's the point, then go back and read Luke 15 again. Jesus said to him, now look at this word, today, today, same word, salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Don't get this wrong. Read Luke Acts. Read all of Luke. He's not saved because he promised to give away money. He's not saved because of genealogy. The son of Abraham was mentioned earlier in uh, Luke. Just jot this down. I'll read it to you. Luke 3, 8. Because there were people coming, and here's what was said. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you, From these stones, God is able to raise up children from Abraham. So that was already in Luke. So this doesn't mean genealogy saves you. It doesn't mean I have some better heritage than others. No, it means that the son of Abraham is a Hebraic expression characterized by, characterized by. Abraham rejoiced to see his day. Abraham Believe God was accounted to him for righteousness. So this isn't saying, well, you gave away enough money and now you're a son of Abraham. Because look what it says. He came to save the lost. He wasn't saved by giving away money. He wasn't saved by being a son of Abraham. He's saved because Jesus came to save those who are lost. Today, as you hear this, are you lost? Do you know Christ? What are we trusting in to be saved from this present evil age? What is this age? It's the age of deception, bondage. It's an age that God allows to go on according to his purposes because people are still being saved. It can't just mean a time frame. Because how could you be saved out of a time frame? You're still there. You're no longer of this age. You're in the world, but not of it, if you trust in Christ. The purpose statement here is the key, and we keep this in mind. The key is this. The Son of Man, the glory, glorious Son of Man from Daniel 7, came to seek and save those who are lost. There's another episode in 
Luke, that's important, and I'll just allude to it. If you want to jot this down in your notes. Remember there was a guy who was brought and dropped down before Jesus because he was lame and they wanted him to be healed? And so in Luke 5, they bring him, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. What? Which would you rather have? Your sins forgiven or a miracle? They said, what is this? Luke 5.23 says, which is easier to say your sins have been forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Then we'll skip to verse 56, or excuse me, 5.26. They are all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear and saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Same word. In Luke, today is the day of salvation. A healed lame person with no hope, eternal hope is still lost. The sins being forgiven is the greater miracle because there's a resurrection and we'll never be lame again. Today, the scriptures fulfilled in your ear, Luke 421. I have a whole printout. Keep that in mind. Let's go now to Luke 23. As we head toward the real crescendo of the reason, none of the rulers of this age understood God's wisdom because had they understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. How difficult it is for people living in, this is 2021, how difficult it is to understand the importance, the weightiness, and the miracle that any of this could be understood at all. For 2,000 years or thereabouts, we've tried to get rid of the shame by turning, excuse me, by making gold crucifixes, massive cathedrals, glory, 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 all right here, all right now. And how could somebody say, well, this is shameful that the Son of Man was crucified? Because in our minds, it's glorious. Look at all this. People who have been told you need to believe in Jesus Christ. You can't do enough works. You can't ever get it right. You can't try hard enough. And I've been told, well, I went to St. Peter's Cathedral, and it's all there, so that's what I believe. It's not, the world doesn't think it's shameful to have a cathedral. The world doesn't think it's shameful to wear a gold chain or a crucifix. Or I'm not saying you can't have gold. But the shame is the fact that the Son of Man is rejected and hated, not just by Gentiles and Jews and religious authorities. Everyone wanted him gone, except for those to whom he gave unmerited grace and love and freedom. So now let's think about the Lord of glory shamed 
as this all comes to a crescendo, yeah, as far as the shame part, and then the resurrection shows that his claims are true. Luke 23, 36 through 39. Now the Lord of glory finally reaches Jerusalem. Luke 9, 51, all the way. He's going to Jerusalem to be rejected. Some of the statements there. Jerusalem rejects the prophets that are sent. And then he was being crucified. And the soldiers also mocked him. Coming up to him, offering sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Save yourself. There's a lot behind this. If you go back to the temptations in the wilderness, the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples got a glimpse of the glory to come. But they're wanting him to save himself now. And there's no way those who said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Did they realize that if he did save himself in the way they wanted, everyone would be damned? Because only through the substitutionary atonement can anyone be saved. Why are the rulers, the the evil spirits, the Gentile rulers, the Jewish rulers, the people that are, why are they arrayed against Messiah? How is it that none of them understood this wisdom, crucified Jewish Messiah? Because God reveals it. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, there was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. It's in all caps here in the New American Standard. Why would they put a title saying this is the king of the Jews above the cross as they mocked Jesus? Did they do that to confer honor to him? No. They wanted to make it even more shameful. Okay, here's your king. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. People had been crucified before in that age, before this. So this is the one that you're trusting in. Look at him, suffering. What kind of king is this? Well, actually, this is the king that's predicted in the Old Testament. One of the criminals who were hanged there, was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Save yourself. Why why do they keep saying that? Soldiers, save yourself. One of the criminals, both at the beginning, but now just one, save yourself, save us. None of the rulers of this age understood God's wisdom or else they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Did they realize they're asking for the whole human race to be damned? The tax gatherer was shamed, but he welcomed. Jesus conferred honor and glory to a man who had none. So there's irony. The word here is blessed. Blasphemio, 
which is where we get our word blasphemy, saved is sozo. Let's go to the next slide. Luke 23, 40 through 41. But the other answered, and rebuking, by the way, that word rebuking in Matthew, or excuse me, in Luke, same word for rebuking demons, rebuking the wind, it's very strong. The other answered, rebuking him, said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. How could he have come to that conclusion other than God in his mercy allowed and showed to this man that the crucified Messiah is the one who will save lost sinners. In Sunday schools, we saw the video. If you don't know you're lost, you don't know you need a savior. How do you know you're lost? How did he know he's lost? We've witnessed, as you study history, people go right to their dying day and say, I don't need anybody. I lived a good life. Or this isn't fair, whatever it is. How do you know you're lost? How did he know he's lost? None of the rulers of this age understood God's wisdom, or else they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But what's really amazing is this last slide. We want to think about this. A sinner repents. A sinner repents. Luke 23, 42 to 43. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. This man, that very day, was with Jesus in paradise. We don't need to play around with this. People that have their own agenda, whatever it may be, will say, oh, it couldn't be today because he's just telling the man what day it was he was speaking to him. Have you heard that one? Oh, yeah, today I'm telling you this. Well, they're dying on crosses. And anyone who says that doesn't know very well how to read Luke. What did we learn about today in Luke? Same word in the Greek. Let me cite a few as we contemplate what happens here. Luke 2.11. For today in the city of David has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What day was that? The birth of Christ. In Luke 4, Jesus comes into his hometown of Nazareth. And he opens up the scroll of the prophet. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Probably was the reading for that day. We don't know for sure. And what did he say as he read it? It's about Messiah. 
Luke 4.21. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Same word. Today is born in... Uh, well, born to you a savior. Today, scripture is fulfilled. Did anyone, year after year, going to the synagogue in Nazareth, the scrolls read, and we're doing this, and we're here comes the Messiah? And he says, This is fulfilled today, right now, today. You read that, and now you're saying, Well, this isn't today. You didn't read Luke very well. Today is the day of salvation. So they must have got really excited in uh, the Nazareth in the synagogue. Wow, look at this. One of our own, he comes. What did they do? They took him to throw him off a cliff. I already mentioned Luke 5. Jesus forgave sins. What did they say? We have seen remarkable things today. Luke 5, 26. There are other cases like this. I printed out many of them. The one we have here, Luke 22, and so on. But it all comes down to this. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise, the place mentioned by Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 4, that he had seen a vision and saw remarkable things that it's not lawful for men to utter. Unless you're a popular preacher, then you can visit anytime you want and tell what you saw. It's unlawful for Paul, but if you're a preacher with a big following, you can go to heaven and talk to David. One guy did, and David said, well, some of those psalms I wrote weren't so good because I had a bad day when I wrote them. I wrote about that one time. No, paradise is the place where they went at death, not to hell, but to paradise at this point. Here it means Jesus, Stephen, saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the majesty. Paul, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, Zacchaeus may have thought that he could keep giving away enough money. He wouldn't seem as bad as some other people. That's not going to do any good. He, he was already suffering some shame. Jesus said, I must come to your house. Did you know that Jesus dined with sinners? He did. Nobody would do that. What about me? What about you? The wisdom of God, as we've seen in 1 Corinthians 2, and verse 8, was not discovered, was not figured out, was not known by the rulers of this age. Human ones, spiritual ones. Had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Not because they'd feel sorry for it, but because they'd realize that this is how God's going to save the people they had under their control. You're crucified shamed Jewish Messiah. Here's the bottom line. The only way to eternal glory is to believe in Jesus Christ who bore the shame. He came into the world 
to save sinners. For this purpose I came, he said, to seek and save those who are lost. Today, do you know you're lost if you don't know Jesus Christ? Maybe today is the day that it'll pierce your heart. You'll realize, I could never do enough. I could never deserve anything that God ever did for me. And I certainly have no way to have participation in future glory. Part of the marriage supper of the Lamb is not possible. If you have not known that, but today you're convicted by the Scripture. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him alone. Because that is God's wisdom. Christ crucified. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to see things that angels desire to look into. Thank you for coming into the world of your enemies and saving people that don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, for showing mercy and forgiveness of sins. And may we have a hunger in our hearts to learn more about what you've said and to grow in your grace and knowledge. And if there's any here today who do not know you, may whoever that may be turn to you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.